Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Friday, October 9th, and we are talking about Asana. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined by Fool.com's salty superstar sultan of stratospheric SaaS stocks, Brian Feroldi. Had to up the pace a little bit on that one, Brian, to make it through. You did, and you did a great job, <laughs> as always. I continue to strike out with trying to get you to mess up. And that actually name suggestion came from uh, Robotra5 on Twitter. So if you can come up with a name for me that can get Dylan to mess it up, please hit me up. <laughs> One of my favorite recurring bits, and I always love opportunities to get the listeners involved in the show. Uh, for, for folks that don't follow Brian on, on Twitter already, at Brian Froley, hit him up there. We are at MF Industry Focus on Twitter. Um, Brian, I think that in all of the debuts that we've seen in 2020, there's there's one business that we're going to be talking about today that has kind of flown under the radar, which is surprising given the pedigree of its co-founder. Yes, Asana. This is a company that was co-founded by Dustin Moskovitz. If that name sounds familiar, he found, co-founded a little company called Facebook. So I totally agree. This is a company that did not get a lot of fanfare when it came public. Probably a big part, uh, chunk of that is because it was coming out public same time as Palantir, which got a whole lot of fan, uh, fanfare. Also, this is a direct listing, not an IPO. Yeah, and, and it's important to emphasize the difference there. This is not a capital raising event for Asana. Uh, this is really just an opportunity for insiders to sell some of their shares. And and we just continue to see direct listings, Brian. You know, Spotify kind of broke the mold a couple of years ago when they listed their shares there. It was one of the first times in a while that we'd seen a really popular major issuance go the direct listing route. And we've seen so many companies follow suit. I think that they make sense. They are uh, they, they, there's not a big pop that has associated with them. There's a lot more uh, pricing. It, it, it can be can be a better. It's a lot cheaper for the companies to do. And if you just want your shares to have liquidity, but you don't need to raise capital, I think we're going to see more and more companies choose this option. Yeah. And and if you don't need the money, you know it's 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 a great approach. Uh, you know we we talk about the various reasons why companies go public. Capital raising is a huge part of it, but that incentive and that structure and and, and really you know the the whole underwriting process um, takes time, takes money, and if you can sidestep all of that, why not? A hundred percent. So Asana here, I like that this is a mission driven company, Dylan. They make it super upfront that they are on a mission. Their mission is to help humanity thrive. By enabling the world's team to work together effortlessly. That's a lot of words, but I at least like that they're upfront with their mission statement and clearly, and they, and they reiterate it over and over again. I love seeing that. And what, what that mission statement gives you a hint of is the fact that this is a collaboration and team-based product. The focus for this business is making it easier for employees and teams to work together. Um, it's, it's really kind of productivity software suite type stuff. And this is a uh, founding story that we've heard over and over again. Uh, Dustin Moskovitz and his co-founder here, uh, Justin Rosenstein, both were early uh, early engineers at Facebook. Dustin was a co-founder. Justin came on a few years later. As they were scaling Facebook, one of the challenges that they faced in doing so was trying to coordinate what was happening with uh, at at the company. Dustin and, and Justin both found that they were spending an inordinate amount of time on 
really repetitive tasks that had nothing to do with building the company, such as answering emails, attending meetings that were all about status, gathering information, internal communication. That really bothered them. So they said there has to be a better way. They left Facebook in 2008 to found Asana. And as you pointed out, they've created collaboration tools that are designed to solve those problems. Yeah. And they like to refer to what they are trying to solve for as the work about work problem that so many employees run into. And, you know, Brian, I think if you look at it now, this this is a pretty popular space. There are a lot of companies that are operating here. But back when they left Facebook to do this, we weren't using Trello. You know, we weren't using all of these project management uh, software solutions. So this was a really kind of groundbreaking idea. It's a space that has exploded over the last decade for good reason. It helps us declutter all of our workflows. Yeah, and a McKinsey study kind of provided this company with numbers to back up what they're saying. And if you're a knowledge worker, I'm sure these resonate with you. McKinsey survey said 28% of employees' time is spent answering email. 19% is spent gathering information. 14% is spent on internal communication. You add all that up, and that's 60% of the average knowledge worker's time is spent on work about work. Clearly, there's room in there for improvement, and that's what Asana is trying to do. Yep. I think anyone with an Outlook calendar can probably appreciate that one, Brian. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. (laughs) Um, so let's talk a little bit about their their core service and really what they are offering to people. We we hinted at it before, but it's it's work management and it's really kind of a focus on institutional knowledge. Yeah. So their big product is called the uh, Work Graph, which is a unified view of all the tasks, projects, milestone uh, portfolios, goals that exist in, in in a company. It's one unified place that um, employees and managers can go to see all the work that is being done at their company. With this platform in place, it in theory eliminates the need to do a lot of communicating between teams because if you want to see where uh, the status of a project or get some information, you can just go right to Asana to see all that in real time. They've done a great job at building this out, and they've already landed over 80,000 paying customers as clients. Clearly, there's something to this business. Yeah, I think to maybe back this out and give a really easy, simplified example of this for someone who isn't familiar with this type of software, Brian, um, anyone who watches Silicon Valley or you know a show that is tech oriented and they see the big board with all of the projects and all of the sticky notes on there and the idea that you are moving the status of a project along in the workflows as things are being accomplished perhaps adding notes adding updates so other team members can see it in a centralized location that's basically what Trello does and that's what a lot of these types of software solutions are really trying to get at is how can i find out what's going on without having to ask you you have to write up a bunch of copy for me explaining the update and then you know 2 days later someone else from my team reaches out to you too looking for that same update and you have to update based on you know the fact that we're 2 2 days further along on the project and some things have changed so trying to provide an easy at a glance for all of these different operations um, and making it really easy for people to just quickly get in touch. Yeah, and you can imagine how useful this kind of collaboration software would be for big employers. I mean, keeping track of everything that's going on at your company or even specific projects, 
rather than having to reach out and send email communications, wouldn't it be nice if there was just one centralized place where you can click and get that information? You pointed out that we at The Fool use Trello. It's tremendously useful for helping us to, to manage projects. If I get assigned a project, it just goes right to my name, and then I just use Trello to update it. And then anybody that wants to see what's happening with my project can just click on that. That's extremely useful. Yeah, and and uh, Airtable is another really big name in this space. We'll talk about some of the competitors down the road, but but really, what all of these different software solutions are trying to do, what a, what Asana is trying to do, is avoid duplicative work and and avoid wasting time checking in on things, creating that central space for everyone to easily have a sense of what's going on. Yeah, and they have some numbers to prove or at least showcase that employees and customers feel, feel that their software is doing that. In the fourth uh, quarter of their fiscal 2020, uh, they, they commissioned a study to be done of over 3,000 of their active customers. Here's some numbers that they came up with. 83% of their active customers said that Asana improves their job performance. 77% said it reduces wasted time. And 74% say Asana helps them accomplish tasks more quickly. That's some real feedback that is certainly an attractive, attractive, uh, attractive numbers for potential customers to look at. Yeah. And, and I think uh, something that will be familiar to people, even if they don't know this space very well, is the model that this business is operating on. They are using the freemium approach uh, and they are using the land and expand approach, two things that we talk about plenty when it comes to software businesses, Brian, because it's such an effective model if you can get it to work and you can really get those free users to advocate for using that service when they are on the enterprise side. It seems like they've seen some success with that. Yep. So it's a it's a hybrid it's a hybrid model. So there's both self service and they also employ a direct uh, sales force. But it's it's freemium. Any company can go on here and get a basic account up and running, basically instantaneously. That allows them to try it out with a small team and see if they like it. From there, Asana tries to convince its customers to upgrade to get more advanced features and add more and more users. Uh, the starting price for this software is pretty reasonable. It's 11 bucks per month per user at the most basic level, and it scales up uh, from there. They do have three additional tiers all the way up to enterprise. So it's an, it seems like an affordable, uh, affordable price tag for even small businesses to try. Yeah, and, and as you might imagine with a freemium model, basically... There are certain things that are not a part of that free service that you have to pay up for. And I think teams of a certain size need to start paying for the product. So that's how they're able to start getting people to convert over to the paid side. But they have some pretty impressive customer growth numbers and, and just kind of overall footprint numbers. Yeah. And one of, the, one of the metrics that they report to investors is what percentage of their uh, free customers convert to being paid customers. That's a big part of the, uh, the thesis here. So last year, about 3.5% of customers uh, converted from uh, the free model to the paid model. More recently, that number jumped to 4.7%. That doesn't sound all that high in, in absolute terms, but if you can get a 4 or 5% conversion rate, that's actually a really impressive number. And it's impressive uh, comparing that number over time. You know, that's that's a huge jump in a relatively short period of time uh, with that conversion rate. So, you know, the hope is that that continues to tick up. But as we get into the financials, I mean, this business, especially if they're able to ratchet down their sales and marketing and, and some of their other expenses, should be a uh, very profitable business fairly soon. <laughs> Yeah, some of the number here is, uh, some of the numbers here are are really exciting. So uh, last year the company reported eighty six percent revenue growth to 
100, uh, just under $100 million. In the most recent quarter, that number did decline a little bit, but still produced top-line growth of 57% uh, to $52 million. A number that jumped right off the page at me was gross margin, Dylan. 87% in the most recent quarter. So high, high top-line growth and very strong margins. That's a good base to build off of. That's a good base to build off of, as you might expect with a high-growth software company. I think the listeners already know what's coming here. They're losing money, Brian. And, and they're losing money because they're aggressively spending on marketing and really trying to get out there. I mentioned before that it's a crowded space. It kind of makes sense that they're making those investments right now. Yeah, and they're losing mar- uh, losing money at an impressive rate, unfortunately. So 40, $52 million in revenue last quarter. Net loss on a gap basis was $41 million. That's a huge delta between the two. On an adjusted basis, on a non-gap basis, it was about a $26 million uh, adjusted net loss. That was double what they lost in the year ago period, and unfortunately, we don't have free cash flow to save us uh, in this in this in this instance. Free cash flow last quarter was negative twenty two million dollars, so it's likely to be some time before they can switch over to generating cash. The good news is they weren't in desperate need of money when they came public. As of July thirty first, they had four hundred and fifty six million in cash on their books. They do have three hundred and thirty million in convertible notes that we should certainly knock them for and count as debt. The odds are good with companies like this that that will actually convert into equity down the road. But the numbers, the the losses aren't great to see, but they clearly have plenty of liquidity to fund it. Yeah, I think this business, looking at the financials, has all the marks of a high-growth software company. There, there's nothing in here that really surprises me. Um, the only thing I think that that was a little surprising is that the gross margin number is as high as it is this early. Um, you know, the fact that it's 86, 87%, there's not a lot of room for that to continue to go up. They're already enjoying pretty good gross margins. Yeah, but it's risen over time as they've continued to scale. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, 87% <laughs> gross margin in absolute terms is phenomenal. So they could be profitable if they chose to. Right now, they are spending as much as they can to acquire customers. Given the numbers and the margins, that's a good move. And to be fair, Brian, that's a petty knock on my part <laughs> about, about the gross margins. It's more just the, the picture is only going to improve so much. You know What we're going to see from this business and profitability um, is really going to be a reflection of costs changing, not so much the business becoming more profitable. Yeah, and they have clearly laid out a plan to scale over time to get their spending as a percentage of revenue down lower over time and eventually producing. They're actually calling for 30% free cash flow margins at scale. With an 80% gross margin, that's entirely reachable. Yeah, and, and a big part of that is the fact that that, that R&D, that sales and marketing, those are currently uh, 45 and 67% of uh, their top line. Um, I, th- I think at their top line, uh, long term, they're targeting 22 to 25% and 30 to 33%. So that's, that spend is going to ratchet down pretty dramatically. That's where you start seeing the money flow to the bottom line. That's where you start seeing cash flow. And that's what investors love to see. You got it. Now let's talk about our favorite metric when it comes to SaaS stocks like this, dollar bait net retention rate. Again, that's retention. That's the good one. It includes churn. And the most recent quarter, that number was 115%. That's not the best we've seen, but in absolute terms, that's really good. And more importantly, if you drill down a little bit even further, that was their overall net retention rate. But for bigger customers, so those that spend $5,000 or more on the platform, their retention rate was 125%. And for those that'll spend $50,000 or more, 
the retention rate was 140%. So this is a case where I'm, I'm guessing this number was temporarily uh, lowered but by based on their smaller customers, but they're clearly winning and doing a great job with enterprises. Yeah, and let, let's highlight that and kind of sync it up with strategy for a second, Brian, because this is land and expand in action, right? Like you get used by a team at a company and then all of a sudden other teams start realizing that this is a really valuable product. That's where you start seeing your big contracts growing even faster because they have the scale, they have the budget to lay it out and say, you know, we're going to go relatively wall to wall across the enterprise with the solution. We're not just going to have marketing use it. Yeah, it's the same kind of problem that faced Slack. How useful is Slack if there's one user in your organization? It's completely useless. How useful is it if everybody's using it? It's unbelievably useful. So Asana has a similar problem. What they try and do is target one small team at a time just to get their foot in the door. And what the company sees over time is Asana is used by a small team and then members are added over and over and over again. And they actually think there's enormous room for them to grow just within their existing uh, user base. So they they estimate that only about 3% of the employees within their existing uh, user base are currently users. In theory, that gives them a tremendous runway to grow, even if they don't add on any more companies in general. Yeah. And, and I know in the past that we have um, occasionally criticized the freemium approach for some of these businesses, especially in the storage space, um, looking at some cloud companies. Uh, I think that this model, this freemium model works really well if you have something that is sticky that people can't get elsewhere. I'm critical of it when it's something like cloud storage. And you know, it, it's really just a place to put your files. But with this, it's, it's functionality, it's streamlining operations. And if you get people to start seeing the value prop, the freemium model totally makes sense. Yeah, I can total. I can. I can see once this com- once a company converts to using this, gets used to using it, and has it up and down the organization. I can see them being extremely reluctant to switch off or, or turn it off or switch over to something else. The exact same way the Motley Fool is with Slack. I mean, if you took away Slack from from the Fool right now, we would all be extremely upset having to go back to to email. I could see a similar level of switching costs for a company like Asana. Yeah, yeah. I think the the test is you know some people might be familiar with the Snap test, the idea that a company just appears and people realize it. It's can you get work done? You know, and, and if you remove these software solutions, no, you can't. It, it, your your operations and your workflows are so dependent on these types of software suite uh, solutions. And that's a good thing if you're Asana. It's a great thing if you're Slack, you know, um, and, and really just it proves the value. You know, if, if teams are that reliant on it, then, you know, it, they're going to keep using it and they have to use it even if things uh, get a little bit tougher for them as a business and they have to make some tighter budgetary decisions. Um, I think Asana has also been pretty smart over, you know, the last couple of years with some of the integrations and some of the partnerships that they've lined up. They, they know that becoming a sticky and useful product is incredibly important to customer retention. So like so many other high-growth SaaS companies we've seen, they have spent big to make their product integrate directly with other useful products. So they have over 100 direct integrations. They just landed Microsoft Teams, for example, but they have plenty of other useful products. So Asana integrates directly with Gmail, so uh, Google Calendar, Chrome, uh, all of Microsoft products, so Team, Outlook. Uh, they in- integrates directly with Slack, with Dropbox, with Box, with uh, GitHub, with Jira, over 100 uh, third-party applications in total. That's exactly what we should want to see as investors. Once you get those integrations going, it's even harder to rip the software out. It just makes your product more and more useful, Brian. 
<laughs> yes, that's exactly right. And the good news here is there is a tremendous amount of room for this company to to continue to grow. One of my questions is, well, how big is the potential market here? Well, according to IDC, they believe that the product for this kind of software is currently worth $23 billion, and that number is growing pretty fast. By 2023, they expect that market to be $32 billion. Importantly, that's IDC saying that, not management here. <laughs> yeah, I think when we look at Tam, you basically look at whatever's in the prospectus and you say, "Yeah, sure." And then you try, and then you try <laughs> to go find someone else that's saying that number, right? Um, Brian, one one of the things that I was surprised at looking at this business is based on their revenue total, I did not expect them to be very split out when it came to their customers. I was expecting a business that was going to be pretty reliant on a couple of really big accounts to be pushing their top line forward. Not the case here with Asana. Not at all. Over 82,000 customers and growing. Last quarter, they added 5,000 new ones. And this includes plenty of big name companies such as Alphabet, New York Times, General Electric, McKesson, Uber, Harvard, Okta, Coupa, etc., etc. So these are not all small businesses. They do have some big businesses in there. Importantly, Dylan, when we look at customers, is we want to check: is there any concentration risk that we should be aware of? In this case, there's none. Great to see. Yeah, yeah no single customer accounting for more than one percent of revenues, and the top 100 customers accounting for nine percent of revenues for fiscal 2020. That's pretty spread out. And I, I imagine that we are going to continue to see their big accounts get bigger. Um, but if they are all doing that in proportion, the business should be able to do just fine, especially because they continue to seem to resonate with these smaller businesses. And the freemium model lends itself so well to growing as your customers grow and, and really being in a position where you have a symbiotic relationship with your users. Yep. The, the bottom line for me is this company has clearly caught on with a number of big companies and they are diversified already at this stage of the game that's exactly what we should want to see usually when we do our breakdowns brian i tend to be swayed by the financials that that tends to be the the thing that i am most interested in when i look at a business and i'm really trying to figure out whether or not it's investable in the case of asana i think that the management and the company culture is actually probably one of the strongest points in this being uh, a watch list worthy stock for me Exactly. I, I, I would even wager if you just said the name Dustin Moxowitz to the average American, a good chunk of them would actually know who that is. He is certainly a high profile co-founder and he is heavily invested in, in, in this business. So he still owns about a third of it at current prices. That's more than a billion dollars. His other co-founder, Justin Rosenstein, owns about 15% and insiders in general own two thirds of this company. As we've seen numerous times, Dylan, two classes of stock here, A and B. B, B. B shares are owned by all the founders and insiders, which gives them complete control of the company. But wow, is there a lot of skin in the game here? A lot of skin in the game. And I think Dustin Moskovitz is firmly in the doesn't need the money camp. <laughs> you know, he he was a, a co-founder of Facebook in his late teens, was a billionaire in his early 20s. At one point, he was the youngest self-made billionaire in the world. Um, could have very easily left Facebook and just said, I've got my money. I think I'm good. Um, decided to leave and build this company. And what I really like is I've watched some of the interviews preparing for the show that he's given in the past. He is a very calm, cool, collected, level-headed executive, and the ratings for him are absolutely incredible. 4.9 stars on Glassdoor, 
And, and it comes through in any of the interviews you watch for him. He is someone who really cares about his employees. He is really, really conscious of tech burnout. And I think it's kind of a different executive for the tech space. Uh, I, my jaw kind of hit the floor when I looked at the Glassdoor numbers here. <laughs> now, they, there's only 222 total views. So it's not like we have thousands we're working from here. But as you just said, 4.9 stars out of 5. 100% CEO approval rating, not 99%, 100%, and 99% of employees would recommend the company to a friend. It does not get any better than that. It doesn't. And and I think he is one of those executives that is worth watching and, and worth hearing from um, if you are considering this business and, and you're even putting it on your watch list. And one of the first places I would recommend you go is he wrote a piece in 2015 on Medium, if you want to work hard, live well. And it's basically his reflection on tech, um, his changing perspective on work-life balance, and really how he's tried to shape Asana's culture. And and I think that that becomes an employee retention tool uh, at a certain point. And he is someone who I think is on the right side of history when it comes to where tech is going and creating good workplaces for employees. Yeah, one of the things I saw in their uh, registration statement was that their employee uh, um, retention rate in their engineering department uh, was over 90%. That's incredibly high in general, but this is a company that's in Silicon Valley. Keeping engineers around and keeping them from job hopping is unbelievably difficult. Culture is a weapon in Silicon Valley and Asana has a good one. Yeah. And just to give a couple small examples of the ways that they tend to look at culture a little bit differently, there are a lot of firms out there that will make dinner available. You know, in a period where you're actually able to go to the office, they will make dinner available, but dinner will be served at eight o'clock. And the idea is if you want that free dinner, you got to stay there till eight o'clock. Um, I, I saw an interview with him where it's like, you know, they're targeting like six or six thirty for the, for those dinners. Uh, they, they've also done a lot to really change the way that equity uh, compensation works and uh, and options work for their employees to make them more employee friendly. So I, I think that there's just a leadership team that's doing a lot to retain talent, understands the work life balance, and understands that it's you know it's a competitive advantage and it's a good thing to do for their employees. You can't fake numbers like that. Clearly, employees love working at this company. That's fantastic. Now, after all that praise, <laughs> we do need to talk about the risks and competition here, Brian. And I think the biggest one, and, and maybe listeners are anticipating this one already, is this is a crowded space. There are a lot of people that are trying to play here. They have plenty of competition. I mean, right at the top of the show, what company does the Motley Fool use for this kind of thing? The answer there is Trello. That's made by Atlassian. So I do think the opportunity here is massive, but there's no doubt they have plenty of competitors to worry about. Some of their big ones are Smartsheet, uh, Rike, Clazen, Monday.com, Microsoft, ServiceNow, Workfront, Airtable, Plainview, and Salesforce. That is a lot of competition. Yeah. And I think for this space, Brian, because there are so many players, at a certain point, it comes down to who is the advocate internally that is trying to get people to use the software? How compelling and how accessible do they make it to people? And the, the fact that they have a freemium model certainly helps their chances with a lot of this stuff. But I know, you know we're using Airtable a lot here at The Fool, and there's a pretty big upfront investment to learning how that software works. There are huge advantages to using it. But really, if you have someone who is going to be an evangelist for any of these systems, uh, that is probably going to be the system that you wind up adopting internally if you're you know, in a 100-employee operation or something like that. Yep. 
I 100% agree. On the flip side, they're clearly doing something that stands out in the marketplace. You can't grow as fast as they are or have as high as a retention rate without doing something special. Now, they are recognized as one of the leaders in this space, and they are not direct competitors with some of their big ones. As we said at the top of the show, they're actually integrated with companies like Salesforce.com and Microsoft. But to me, no doubt, number one risk here, competition. Competition. And you know, it's it's a high growth tech stock. The valuation's also up there. That's a risk, of course, too. Though the valuation probably isn't as crazy as some of the other companies that we've talked about recently, Brian. Yeah, twenty times trading about twenty times full year sales, roughly. Is that a high number in absolute terms? Of course it is. But again, this is a company that's growing its revenue fifty percent and has eighty seven percent gross margins. High, not outrageous in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think it's it's almost reasonable. Which, <laughs> which if you if you asked me two years ago, I'd be like, Dylan, what are you talking about? Uh, but that's just kind of where we are in tech these days. <laughs> it is crazy. I mean, if you want to get your hands on a high quality stock, you really have to pay through the nose these days. And Asana's valuation is not as extreme as we've seen from some other companies that could be in part due because they came public via uh, a direct listing as opposed to an an IPO to create some kind of more excitement about the stock right out of the gate. But 20, 20 times sales, very high. Again, I don't think it's outrageous. Yeah, the the expectation is this continue. This company is going to continue to grow, you know, over the next three five years, and it will eventually become profitable. Those are kind of two core elements of the valuation that we see today. It's going to be losing money, I think, for the short term foreseeable future. Um, but the hope is that they're able to ratchet down some of that spend and make some significant money on the bottom line once they do so. That's a huge part of the thesis. Brian, I'm curious, having gone through the company, where does this sit in terms of investable ideas for you? To me, there's a lot to like here. The gross margin is fantastic. The high revenue growth is great. The integrations are great. The founding story here and the culture is probably the number one thing that sticks out to me for its awesomeness. However, I'm not exactly comfortable with where the company is in its money-losing cycle just yet. It's still losing quite a bit of money compared to its revenue opportunity. I would want to see them make a little bit more progress there before I would dive in. On the flip side, Dylan, this company's market cap is only about $5 billion. That's not an incredibly high number, so I could see this being a very successful investment from today if you can be really patient with it. So for me, Watchlist stock, not something I'm screaming to buy, but I'm curious in your opinion. Yeah, I, I put it on the watch list, and and I think it's something that I'm probably giving a little bit more weight to because of management's pedigree and how beloved the management team is, um, and and they're they're probably punching a little bit above their weight class on my watch list because of that. But it's a company that I'm rooting for because I think they're doing a lot of things right. They're doing right by their employees. They seem to be doing right by their customers. Um, I'd like to see, in the in the case of most recent debuts, I'd like to see a couple quarters. I'd like to see how the growth numbers hold up. I'd like to see if they have to continue to spend so much to bring people in, even with that freemium model. But um, this is this is one I'll be watching. And, and it's nice that it's flying under the radar, Brian, because it means that that valuation is only 4 or $5 billion. That leaves a lot of room for this company to multiply over time. Yep. Definitely agree with you there. And as we've said over and over again, when a company goes from being private to being public, the culture can change. We don't know how management is going to react once it has a number of its head, if it has the skill to deal with Wall Street. That's why waiting a quarter or two at least before you dive in can make sense. Like you, I'm going to be watching their first couple of quarters with, uh, with excitement. 
that's the kind of closing commentary you would expect from the salty super, superstar sultan <laughs> of stratospheric sass stocks. Oh, I messed it up at the end there, Brian. But yes, that's, success. That's what, I, <laughs> that's what I get for being cocky. Uh, thank you again for hopping on, as always, with me to talk tech. Always fun, Dylan. <laughs> Listeners, that's going to do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com or tweet us at MF Industry Focus. Brian's at Brian Feroldi. I am at Wiley Lewis. If you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for all his work behind the glass, and thank you for listening. Fool on. Uh-huh.